heart as your pastor and as a church congregation. Uh, this morning is a day of rejoicing, but it's also a, a day of sorrow, a day of grieving for our church family and for the rescue mission family. Um, a week ago, Jason was here in worship with us, and he's not here with us this morning. Praise God that Jason knew Jesus as his Savior, and Jason has left his physical body, and now he's in the presence of Jesus. And I know a lot of people use this phrase kind of flippantly, and they really don't understand what it means, but they'll say, well, he's in a better place. But our faith is not based on a feeling. Are based, it's based on the reality that Jesus Christ took every one of our sins. And when he was on the cross, the last thing he said, he said, it's finished. He paid the debt in full. Christ didn't give us a down payment. He paid it all. And all to him we owe. And Jason is no longer suffering. He's no longer a diabetic. His legs no longer issue with fluid. He's walking on streets of gold. He's in the presence of Jesus. And he is so much better off. We miss him. And the people at the mission, their heart is breaking. It was sudden without any warning. And yet, we can rejoice today because we don't have to sorrow we do sorrow, but we don't sorrow as others who have no hope. When Paul wrote the Corinthians, he says, Our outward man perishes, but our inward man is renewed day by day, and our light affliction is but for a moment. It's working for us a far exceeding and more eternal weight of glory because we don't look on the things that are seen. The things that are seen are just temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent... A tent is something that you use because you're just a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. And this earth is not our home. And we're just living in a tent. And one day this tent is going to be replaced with a building not made with hands. Mortality will be swallowed up by life. And the one who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also given us the Holy Spirit as our guarantee. So, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, we would rather be absent from our body so that we might be present with the Lord. And that is Jason's testimony this morning. 
He is present with the Lord. And we as believers, we as followers of Jesus, we have got such a wonderful message to proclaim to the world that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul said he was the foremost of them all. That's the passage we're going to be studying this morning. But let's just bow our head in prayer and pray for the mission family, especially this morning. Father, God, I thank you that you sought after Jason as the good shepherd. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit convinced him that he needed a Savior. And Father, I thank you that you gave him faith when he heard the message. When he heard about Christ, you imparted faith to him through the hearing of God's word. For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And the word of God is the power unto salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who trusts that Jesus took their sin and they acknowledge that, yes, I need a Savior and I cannot save myself, you welcome them into your family. And God, we this morning thank you. We thank you that now Jason's faith has been realized, his hope now has been seen. And his body has been transformed. There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There's no more temptation. It is joy in your presence. It is peace. It is worship. And Father, that's the way you want us to live our lives right now. Heaven doesn't begin when we leave this body. Heaven begins right now for your children who by faith have accepted Jesus, for this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Father, we have that life right now, and we have it more abundantly because of Jesus. We pray, Father, for his close friends at the mission, those who worked with him and ate with him, Father, we pray for Judy as she has so many details to try to figure out this week. Guide her, bless her, and I pray, God, as a church family, that we will do all that we can to lighten her burden and lighten the burden of those who lived with him and worked with him. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd like for you to, to stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word. So turn to Acts chapter 26, and then we're going to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Acts chapter 26, starting with verse 12, we're just going to read a paragraph, and then we're going to read a paragraph in 1 Timothy. Our text this morning, I'm reading from the New King James. If you're reading from a New American Standard or a King James or an ESV, they're all very similar. Same Greek manuscripts, just a little bit different method of translating, but all saying the same thing. But it starts out with the phrase, while thus occupied. The word thus is referring back 
to what he did in verse 11. In verse 11, he punished, he compelled people to blaspheme, he was exceedingly enraged, he tried to get people to blaspheme, and he persecuted them to foreign cities while thus occupied, occupied in that so driven with one objective, and that is to defeat the Christian church. While he was on that mission, he journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when I'd fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things that you have seen and the things which I will reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles, to whom now I send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. If you would now turn to 1 Timothy, further on in your New Testament, after all of Paul's pastoral uh, epistle, I mean pastoral letters, First and Second Thessalonians, then we have First and Second Timothy, First Timothy chapter one. Verses twelve through seventeen. Paul writing to Timothy, saying, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious, an insolent, obstinate. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first... Foremost, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe unto him for everlasting life. And then he ends with this early doxology of the first century church, now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together and then you can be seated. Father God, open the eyes of our understanding that we might behold wondrous things that the Holy Spirit has inspired in these books for us to understand this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated now. You may be seated, not can. You're, I know all of you are able. 
except for Barb. She's always seated. <laughs> I'm teasing you, Barb. You listening? <laughs> She's not paying any attention to me. <laughs> um, I want you to draw your attention to verse 16 of 1 Timothy. It starts out, how be it, in the old King James language. We don't use that word a lot today, so it's been updated in the new King James to however. I think the New American Standard just simply uses the word but. There are three adversatives in the original language. And Paul uses the strongest one possible in verse 16 when he says, How be it, however, in spite of everything, how be it, or however, for this reason. For what reason? The reason Paul being a blasphemer a persecutor, an insolent man. But in spite of all of that, Christ is coming into the world to save sinners, and Paul said, I am the protos. I am the chief. I am the foremost. I am first rank of all sinners. This is the great apostle, and this is the way he considered himself. However, in spite of all of that, for this very reason, I obtained mercy. In spite of who he was, in spite of all that he did, he obtained mercy. And then he goes on to say that in me first, in the life of Paul, he is a demonstration, he is a picture in him they were hearing about Paul in the early Judean church. The one who had persecuted us now was preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And Paul says, and they were glorifying God in me through his life. His life was to be a demonstration of the power and the goodness and the mercy and the long-suffering and the patience and the love of God. If you ever feel like you are outside of the love of God, I've got news for you. His love knows no limits. I love the old hymn that talks about if every blade of grass was a quill and the ocean was filled with ink and the sky was a scroll. You could never, never write enough about the love of God. And that's what Paul is saying. God is putting his love on display. God is putting his mercy on display. He is portraying it for everyone to see in Paul's life. He says, I am the foremost of sinner that in me First, that is chief. I'm the top rank of sinners. Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern for those who are going to believe on him to everlasting life. The word pattern is a compound word. It means an under 
diagram, literally. And I, I was such a bad artist when I was a kid. I like, all I could do was trace stuff. And I, I got pretty good at it. But to trace something, you've got to have a bright picture underneath it. And you've got to press it down hard so that you can see it. And then you've got to trace over it. And this is the word that Paul is using here. He's saying, I am a big picture for you. I am like an amphitheater. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a megaphone. And I want you to look at my life, and then I want you to trace it. And what God has done for me, God will do for anyone, is what he's saying. And so I want us to go back over to Acts chapter 26 and just look at what God did for Paul and what God wants to do for you and I. Paul's conversion demonstrates the depths of God's mercy. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Acts chapter 26, verse 12. God seeks us to display his mercy. When I look back on my conversion, I often think that I was seeking God. And from my perspective, I probably was seeking God. But from God's perspective, he was seeking me. The Bible tells us that no man can come to the Father unless... He is drawn by God. Now, what does God use to draw us? God had been drawing Paul, hadn't he? When he says, Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Paul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. God had been drawing him. God had been using things in Paul's life to try to get Paul to realize you're going the wrong way, Paul. You're this stubborn, arrogant, insolent, braggadocious, self-righteous Pharisee. You look at all the do's and the don'ts, and Paul, you've got a lot more do's than you don'ts. <laughs> Paul, you're thinking you're going to get into heaven because you have kept the law meticulously as a Pharisee. Paul, you're bragging because you're a Hebrew of the Hebrews. You were circumcised on the eighth day. You're the tribe of Benjamin, touching the law, blameless, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. If anybody was going to make it to heaven on their track record, it would have been the Apostle Paul. If Paul stood before Jesus, before this account, and Jesus would have said, why do I let you into heaven, Paul? He would have named off all the things that he had done. He'd given them his pedigree. He would have talked about going to Gamaliel's school, the greatest Pharisee known of Jerusalem of the day. And God would have looked at Paul and he said, depart from me because I don't know you. Because all of your works are filthy rags. Paul later said this. He said, I had not known covetousness. I would not known of covetousness except the law said, thou shalt not covet. And the law that I thought was going to bring me life actually brought me death. Paul later wrote this, I, through the law, died to the law so that I might live unto God. What he was saying in that letter to the Galatians, 
The law was my schoolmaster to bring me to the point of salvation. Paul was not seeking God. He was seeking his own way. I was not seeking God. I was seeking my own way. And this morning, God is seeking us. God is drawing us. God uses a lot of different things. He uses our circumstances. He uses where we live. He uses creation, doesn't he? They all knew God, according to Romans chapter 1. No one's going to be without excuse. God uses our conscience. We have the law of God written in our hearts so that we are without excuse. The minute you judge someone and say, you know what, that guy shouldn't have done that, or that woman shouldn't have spoke like that. You know what you've done? You have put another strike against you because you're acknowledging you know right and wrong, and you're saying, I know that that was wrong, and you know what, you've probably done the same thing yourself. So now you're without excuse. I'm talking about myself. Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. You know why? Because he knew himself better than he knew anybody else. I don't know any one of your hearts this morning, but I don't think any of you is bad as I am. I was talking to Sean this morning, and I said, you know, Sean, I can't even make it through a prayer without having a bad thought. I'll be praying for somebody who I'm angry at, and I'm praying for God to bless them, and then I start getting mad at them. (laughs) and I had to start praying all over again. Okay, God, I need to repent of that one. You can't hear me right now because I've just sinned. We know ourselves so well, and when we are honest with ourselves, we know that we are the chief of all sinners. It is God who draws us. It is God who seeks us, and Paul was thus occupied. He was doing his own thing, going his own way, and that's when God meets you and I. We're going our own way, we're doing our own thing, and we're thinking, you know what, I'm pretty hunky-dory. That's not a potato chip. Isn't it a potato chip in Ireland? Okay, you guys aren't from Ireland, I forget that. (laughs) Paul thought, everything's good. What does God use? He uses his self-revelation. God is seeking us. God is calling us. God is beseeching us. God is pleading with us. And he does it through the gospel. He does it through friends. He does it through our circumstances. Acts chapter 17, verse 26. God has made from one blood all nations of the men on earth to dwell on. He has determined their times and their boundaries of their habitation, so that men should seek the Lord and happily they might find him. Though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our very being. Paul was going his own way and God had to stop him. God's mercy is best displayed by his self-revelation to us. You look at creation, and what does it tell us about God? It tells us that God is love. It tells us that God is organized. It tells us that God is all-powerful. It tells us that God is infinite. God uses the gospel. It tells us about our need. The cross is the greatest picture of God that you and I will ever see. 
It's a picture of God's justice. That God takes sin seriously. Sin isn't something that we just flaunt. Sin isn't something that we brush under the, the rug. Sin brings death. And God takes sin very, very seriously. So serious that he has to judge sin. God is a righteous God. But not only does the cross tell us that God is just, the cross reveals to us that God is love. While in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. In this, God's love is demonstrated that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. God reveals himself to us. God shows his mercy through long-suffering. I'm not a... Well, sometimes I can be a patient person, and sometimes I'm not. My wife knows both extremes. But I'm the type of guy that I can be patient up to a point. And people don't know that I'm about ready to blow my top. <laughs> and I can just hold it and hold it and hold it and look like everything's good. And then I'll, I'll, I'll erupt. But other times I, I have no patience at all. But there's something that you and I lack is, is patience. And God's mercy is demonstrated through his patience. In verses 13 through 14, we, we see that, that God is, is so patient with Paul. At midday, I saw a shining light around about me. I didn't hear of the voice, or the people around me didn't hear the voice. I fell into the ground. I heard him saying to me in the Hebrew language, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. God had been so patient with Paul. You think of the patience that Paul had, that God had with Paul. At any moment, God could have judged him for his sin. He's standing there holding the garments, holding the clothes of the people who stoned Stephen to death. Stephen just tells about how wonderful God's goodness and grace is, and Paul is holding the clothes. When people were being condemned to death, and the Sanhedrin was throwing their pebbles in to count the votes, Paul was throwing his pebble in among them and saying, put him to death. Paul was taking Christians out of their homes, arresting them, torturing them, trying to force them to blaspheme, trying to force them to deny Jesus Christ as Lord. And those Christians would stand in the face of Paul and say, I cannot deny the one who loved me. Justin Martyr, the first Christian martyr that we know about in church history, was burned to the stake, burned alive. And before they asked him to recant, he said, how can I recant the one who has loved me so? And Paul had heard testimony after testimony after testimony. He had watched Christians unwilling, unreservedly, saying, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And all that time, God was trying to goad Paul. He was trying to get him to convert. And Paul said, I did it in ignorance and unbelief. He wasn't making an excuse. 
He wasn't excusing it. No, he was saying, that's how merciful God was. I was willingly ignorant. I was willingly rejecting your testimony over and over again. And God, you were so merciful to me. So God's mercy, how does God deal with you and I the same way he does with Paul? You remember, Paul is a pattern for what God's going to do in our lives. Well, God reaches out to us. God draws us through his message. God draws us through his love. And we're doing our own thing, going our own way. But God also demonstrates his mercy to us. Look at the way he was addressed. God spoke to Paul in his heart language. He didn't speak to him in Aramaic. He didn't speak to him in Greek, which was the language of the entire Roman Empire. Look what God does here. God spoke to him in the Hebrew language. God knows your language this morning. God knows what you speak, and God knows how to get a hold of you. God can draw you. He personally knows your name. I was reading Psalm 139 this morning before church up on my balcony. I was just thinking about how marvelous God is. He knows my words before I speak them. He knows my thoughts before I think them. And that's not too hard. God, he knows my downsitting. He knows my uprising. If I made my bed in hell, he's there. If I took the wings of the morning, he's already there. Such knowledge is too big for me and you. God knows us intimately. He knows you when you were being formed in the womb. Every one of your members was numbered by God. He knows you. And he spoke to Paul in the Hebrew language. He said, Saul, Saul. He called him by name. Jesus walked by a sycamore tree because he knew there was a guy sitting up there who wanted to know more about Jesus. And he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to stay at your house today. Why? Luke 19.10. Because Jesus Christ came into the world to seek and to save that which is lost. That's our Savior. And his mercy is best displayed by his long-suffering. God has a plan for each one of us. God has a purpose. He wants to reveal himself to us. He wants to reveal his grace to us so that we might be instruments of grace in other people's lives. It's pretty simple, isn't it? I'll never be an Apostle Paul. You'll never be an Apostle Paul. But we are a pattern of what God wants to do. He says to, to Paul, he says, Rise, stand on your feet, verse 16. For I have appointed to you, I have appeared to you, For this purpose, God has a purpose when he reveals himself to us, when he convicts us of sin, he has a purpose for our life. It's nice to know that life has meaning, isn't it? And that's what drew me to Christ. I'll I'll just kind of give you a a personal testimony. I I, kind of like my son Jordan here, but a lot different too. He's a lot better than I was at running. <laughs> a lot better just as a man than I ever was as well. And, and I, I, God gets all the credit and his mom does, Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> a 
forgot where I was going. <laughs> God has a purpose, yes, thank you. Thank you, Jordan. I was a runner, too, way, 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 way long time ago. And I was not a believer in Jesus. And I was desperately trying to find purpose in life. I wanted meaning. I wanted my life to matter. I wanted to say, at the end of 70 years or 80 years that, that I accomplished something, and I was questioning everything. I'd been brought up in a Christian home, but I was doubting all of my Christianity, doubting everything. And you know what it did? It left me in complete despair. It left me without hope. And so I was going to throw myself into my athletic endeavors wholeheartedly thinking that somehow this is going to give me some kind of self-purpose. And I, I'm in, I would try to get in the newspaper. I, if I found out that the meet record was 420, I would try to run 419. I, 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 all I wanted to do was break the meet record because I knew if I broke a meet record, it would be written up in the newspaper the next day. And the first thing I'd do when the newspaper came to our doorstep, I'd go look through the sporting page and see if my name was written in there because I was so empty, I was so lost, I was so self-centered, so self-absorbed, doing things my own way, and God was using this to draw me. And I remember getting a Bible sent to me by my grandmother God knew my heart. God knew I was ignorant. God knew that I was an unbelief, and God overlooked all of it. And this is the way God deals with all of us, and he gives us a purpose for life. He says, for this purpose I have revealed myself to you. I am making known to you who I am. I am the great I am. I am the God of all eternity. I am the God who spoke this universe into existence. I am the eternal spirit, and I will come and I will live in your heart. This is what God wants to do. And for this purpose, I'm revealing myself to you. I'm making myself known to you. It is God who sends. It's God who displays himself. God who progressively made his revelation known to Abraham. And then to Isaac. And then to Jacob. And I'm not going to try to preach through the whole Bible right now. I'm sorry. But, here we, but it's God who gives us a purpose. And here's his purpose. I want to make you a minister. Now, when we think of a minister, we think of somebody who's got an official title, reverend or bishop or father. Paul doesn't use that word. He doesn't even use the word doulos, a slave. He doesn't use the word deaconos, a deacon. He uses a word that means an under rower. In the galleys of the ship is where the slaves were. And they were pulling on the rows in the galley of the ship. And God says, I'm appearing to you, I'm revealing myself to you, so that you can be a slave in the galley of a ship, Paul. And I want you to be a martyr for me, Paul. That's the word witness. And that's what God wants for every one of us. God wants us to be servants. God wants us to be witnesses, even to the point of martyrdom, if necessary. We are followers of Jesus. And what is the power of the gospel that Paul was going to get entrusted with? It was to open blind eyes and to turn people out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. So as we conclude, I want us to go back over to Timothy 
and just see how our response should be to this incredible God who is drawing us, who's forgiving us and showing mercy. How should we respond to that? The first response should be overwhelming thankfulness. I am so thankful. I am so thankful that I'm not what I could have been. I'm not what I want to be, but I'm not what I could have been. I mean, if I am a sinner right now, and I'm a wretch right now, oh, wretched man that I am, I can't even imagine what I would have been like without Jesus. Could you just think of what your life would have been like if you had not come to faith in Jesus Christ? If you had not repented from sin and said, Jesus, I need you. And so Paul says here in verse 12, I thank Jesus our Lord. The first reason he thanks him is because God is the one who enables. The word enable means to put power or put strength or put ability in a person. Paul said, I didn't have any strength of my own. I didn't have any abilities of my own. And I thank God because he is the one who enables. Not, not enable like to do you know, wrong stuff. He's not an enabler in that sense. But in enable to give someone the power to succeed. I thank my God because he gave me the power to succeed. Everything I do is through his enablement, Paul says. And what did he do? How did he do this? He counted him faithful. Look what Paul is saying here. God doesn't see you for what you are right now. God sees you for what you can be. God doesn't look at you and say, you know what, I can't use that person. I'm going to discard that person. God says, I'm going to use you in spite of what you are. In spite of Paul being a blasphemer. In spite of Paul being a persecutor. A proud, insolent, arrogant man. God says, I will enable you because I have counted you faithful. I see what you can do. I see the potential in your life, Paul. Because Paul did it in ignorance and unbelief. What I think Paul is saying here, he says, I'm not trying to excuse myself for my sin, my blatant rebellion against God. But I think God was looking in Paul's heart and saying, you know what? This guy just needs a wake-up call. And I'm going to stop him with a blinding light because... This is what it's going to take to stop this guy dead in his tracks. And I can use this guy. I'm going to place him in the ministry. God sees the potential that you can be in spite of what you are right now. I love what this old English pastor wrote. And boy, we don't write like this today. We've got some school teachers here today, and I had to get out my dictionary to figure out what these old Protestant writers in England were saying. But an old pastor wrote this on commentary on this verse. And he says, in John Bunyan, now if you don't know who John Bunyan was, he wrote a beautiful book called Pilgrim's Progress. He was imprisoned in England because he wouldn't go along with the Church of England. But before John Bunyan became a preacher of the gospel, he was a rebel rouser. He was anything but a follower of Jesus. And this old Protestant pastor wrote this about John Bunyan. In John Bunyan, God calls a bold leader from the village of reprobates 
to preach the gospel. A blaspheming tinker. Now, lived in Ireland, and we know what a tinker is. In Ireland, the tinkers were the guys that would go out and scoop the dead animals off the road. <laughs> That's what he's talking about here, though. He says, John Bunyan was the village reprobate. He was a blaspheming tinker, one of England's, now has become one of England's famous confessors. From the deck of a slave ship, God summons John Newton to the pulpit by the hands defiled with mammons. Mammon, we don't use that word anymore. That's, that's money, unrighteous mammon, old King James English. His hands were defiled with mammon's foulest and most nefarious trafficking of human life. He was bound in darkness, but now by the power of the gospel he smites the admontine fetters from the slaves of sin. That's what God does. God did not see a slave trader. God did not see the rebel-rousing drunkard. God sees us and he counts us faithful because he knows what we can be through the power of his grace. His grace has the power to cancel sin, as Samantha so beautifully sang this morning. God does it in spite of what we are, not because of who we are. And Christ's mission is best illustrated in Paul's life. There's no one who's outside of God's grace. There's no one who cannot be saved by the power of the gospel because this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. So where do we start? We start by acknowledging I am a sinner. Our culture does not like that. We are told in elementary school all the way through high school, no one fails. Everyone gets a pass grade. But God has an objective standard. It's not a sliding scale. God does not grave on the curve. God graves, grades on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I don't compare myself with other people. I compare myself with Jesus. And when Peter realized that he was in the presence of Jesus Christ, who was God Almighty, he fell down on his knees and Peter said, Depart from me. I am a sinful man. The prophet Isaiah was calling out woes on all the countries around him. But when Isaiah saw the objective standard of the pure holiness of God, Isaiah said this, Woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Only when we acknowledge that we are sinners are we ready to come to Christ. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all accepting that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And Paul says, I was the foremost because he knew himself. 
you this morning, you know your heart. You know the recesses of it. However, for this reason, God displays mercy. Because God is long-suffering, God is patient, God is kind, and God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's long-suffering and goodness and meekness is how he wins us. Jesus did that, didn't he? Jesus came in a stable, and he died as a crucified criminal. The psalmist said this in Psalm 1835, God, it was through your gentleness that you made me great. Let's pause in prayer. Father, what you did for Paul you can do for every one of us. He is a pattern for everyone who's going to believe. God, all we like sheep have gone astray. Lord, we're all thus occupied doing our own thing. And God, you draw us through your self-revelation. You came seeking us before we ever Turned to seek you. Father, this morning, I pray that if someone does not know Jesus as their Savior, this morning that they would understand that He knows them by name, He knows their heart, and He is calling them to open their eyes, to give them the forgiveness of everything that they've ever done simply by placing their faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And God, we as believers, you now have a purpose for our lives. You want to reveal yourself to us. You want to come and show yourself in our lives so that we can show it to others. Lord, I pray that you'll make North Valley Bible Church a church that proclaims the good news of Jesus. Father, I pray that you would write the words of God on our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit and not by the law. God, that we would be transformed into a people that proclaims your praises. We pray this in Jesus' name.